0: it's great to be with you guys if you are a note taker if you are the kind that like wants to write things down and you don't want to stress out if you're part of our text group and you subscribe if you already put your name in there all you need to type in that number which is 916-246-2468 gonna get you guys memorizing that number all right if you just put in notes you'll instantly get back the doc that I'm preaching from tonight. And anything that goes on the slide is in blue. That's how I do my notes. So if you stressed about those kinds of things, um, I've done the work for you. So uh, last time I talked on the battlefield of your mind. And within the first 24 hours, we had hundreds of people download the notes, listen to the message. It probably is one of our most popular ones ever. And it was basically how your thoughts, not all your thoughts, belong to you. But what the devil wants to do is oppress us through our thoughts and our minds. I shared about my long journey through anxiety, through fear, through depression, through suicide, through some crazy things and never realizing that the enemy was tormenting in my mind using my own thoughts in my own voice to oppress me. And that is what is so powerful about the enemy when he comes into your mind is he influences you with your own thoughts and in your own voice. And if the enemy can convince you that you are the problem, then you begin to fight yourself. If you begin to fight yourself, then you've completely disengaged from fighting against the right enemy. Because you cannot be victorious over something you do not recognize and see. And so that is how there are finite enemies, demons, or whatever you want to call them. There's finite principalities oppressing billions of Christians is that you get people thinking about themselves and warring against themselves. And the enemy's like, you're doing just great, just keep that up. And that's the trick. And so that was where we left off last week. And so tonight what I wanted to, last week, last month, uh, it feels like last week, but tonight I want to talk about how the enemy causes confusion in our minds so that we don't make the right decisions which will lead to powerful lives. In other words, I want to talk about how do we not get deceived when making decisions. If there's one thing that stresses me out in my faith, it's making the right decisions. Does anybody sympathize with that at all? Can anybody relate that like, I've got areas of my life kind of working, but I just need to not mess this up. When people talk about our company WebConnects and it's doing really well, and I'm just like, I'm just trying not to mess it up. I don't need to be the best, just don't mess it up. And so much of my faith is... is How I know my choices are powerful. I know my choices matter. And so the requirement for me is to make the right choices that cultivate God's best, that maximize my potential, that fulfill God's calling on my life. But the problem is, is that there are so many choices there is a pathway to destruction anywhere we turn and that we face these choices that can radically impact our lives and our futures. And so we wrestle with these questions and we, and we wonder, God, what do you want in this? We ask God, what is your plan? We ask God, where are you leading? Is this the right choice or not? These are all things. Does anybody relate to that asking those questions? And so we come and ask, how do we make these right decisions? How do we discern what's taking place, and how do we make the right call? And I felt like the Lord was saying that there are a lot of people who have the right intentions, who have the right heart, who are making the wrong choices. They have the right desire, they have the willingness, they have the intent, but they're still winding up with the wrong outcome. Why? Because they're being deceived by signs. They are being deceived by signs. The Lord is revealing that people are making decisions about their life based on signs instead of callings. That they are looking for signs leading to confirmations that they're on the right path. And they're looking for, am I on the right path or the wrong path? And so those signs are deceiving many of us. And God is not asking us to look for signs. He's asking us to be obedient to callings. And when you make decisions based off of signs, the enemy only has to cause a coincidence in order to deceive you. If you live your life looking for a sign of confirmation, all the enemy has to do is create one coincidence, and boom, you're fully convinced. Because signs are about creating checkpoints. We move from this point to this point. We look for a sign. And if we come against a sign that disproves it, we get stuck. That is what signs do they create checkpoints but obedience is following a direction you might have a zig and a zag but i'm still going this way and that's the difference between signs and obedience to callings is that signs are creating stops on your journey and obedience is a movement in a direction so tonight i want to talk about four deceptive signs that lead us away from god's direction god's calling and god's best are you ready deceptive sign number one is seeking if God is in it. Deceptive sign number one, seeking if God is in it. Now this question, I hear this all the time, I don't know about you, but this question is governing if we say yes or no, if we stay or leave, if we feel we're going in the right direction or if we're in the wrong direction. We ask, God, are you in this thing? And here's how it sounds. We might say, I feel like it's going well, and so therefore God is in it, or I feel it's a challenge and God isn't in it. If I feel peace, then God is in it. If I feel uneasy in my spirit, then maybe God isn't in it. If I feel invigorated and passionate, God is in it. If I feel fatigued and stale, God isn't in it. And here's the thing, asking if God is in it is a trick question. It has the right intent, it's the right heart, it even sounds super spiritual, but so many times it leads to the wrong answer. Here's the truth, is that God is not in something. He's in you. God isn't in this, should I take this career or that career? He's in you. We need to get rid of this idea that God can be in a situation or not because God is in you. That is the best place, the most holy place he can occupy is actually in you. And when we believe that God can be in in something, it overemphasizes God's involvement in the situation while reducing the significance of your spirituality. It will overemphasize God's significance in the situation while under-spiritualizing you. Does that make sense? And so to pretend that God can be in something or not is to ignore the most important place where God is, which is inside of you. It also wrongly elevates God's focus on outcomes when God is really wanting to do something in you and through you. Because God isn't focused on outcomes, He is focused on indwellings. He wants His Spirit in you alive and active because when you get involved, He gets involved. We don't need to ask if God's in something. If we're in something, he's in it because he is inside of us. And so you bring God to every situation. The moment you get involved, God's involved there. So God is in you and therefore you're in it and therefore God is in it. So the very first thing we need to do to avoid signs that deceive us is to begin to place God's involvement on these pedestals and these situations when he's like, I'm in you. Wherever you go, I go. We bring the kingdom to every situation we have. And so conveniently, when we ask if God is in something, it reveals deceptive sign number two, which is, did you notice, an experience. We're assessing if God's in it. If I feel something, 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 then God is in it. We notice that our feelings is so often the key word in how we make decisions. And that is deceptive sign number two, feeling peace. I'm going to upset some of you guys. Don't rely on feelings for your direction. Feelings are great companions, but horrible guides they are meant to be with you they're not meant to guide you and most importantly they are unreliable indicators of god's direction for your life and you'll be most susceptible to the enemy's schemes and deception when you live your life according to feelings and you make your decisions according to feelings because we're called to live by faith not live by feelings amen When you live by feelings, you will have a different calling every other day. All I need to do is to turn on the radio, and I feel like I'm called to politics. All I need to do is write my income tax check, and all I want to do is create a new tax system. Like, our feelings are so fickle. The weather, the relationships, who's doing something on Instagram? We see someone who's making a lot of money. We're like, oh, I just feel called to that. Amen? And I remember in 2006, 2007, for those of you who may not remember, that's when the whole economy like wet the bed. And I had a business that was helping other people start businesses. And when the economy is crashing, this is probably 2007, when when the economy is like crashing, no one wants to spend money, which is terrible when your business relies on people spending money to have you do things for them. Everyone was just running for the hills. And so we have employees, and we're, like, watching, like, how long is this market crash going to go? And I had a mentor, and he is an investor, and he would invest in companies, run them, and sell them. By the time I'm friends with him, he's probably done maybe $100 million in transactions. This guy is worth, like, a zillion, and he loves the Lord. He gives away, like, almost all of his money. So in the middle of my business stinking on ice, you know, like, we are— struggling, he comes to me and a couple of buddies, Is like, I wanna partner with you, I wanna invest in a business with you. And I'm like, I have no money. He's like, I'll provide the money and give you equal equity. And we wanna go invest in businesses, run them and sell them. Turn them around, do different things. And so it's hard to look at that situation. Here's a guy worth probably a hundred million dollars saying let's team up and I'll fund all the money. And we're like, oh yeah, um, I need to pray about it. Uh, he said yes. How many of you have prayed, God, do you want me to be rich? And ever came back with an answer of no? It's kind of like doesn't happen, right? And so Camille and I, like, we go on a walk. I remember the park went into and I talked to my parents, and like, you know, I'm really trying to give it the Christian try. <laughs> but as I'm watching our mortgage payment go late and late and late, I feel so confirmed. I feel a peace about being rich. I feel a peace about jumping on with this guy and this business. And that ended up being one of the worst decisions of my life. Spent three years, it was an utter failure. Tens of thousands of debt, dollars in debt. It was an utter failure. But I felt peace the entire time. How does that work? Here's what I've learned, is that feeling peace is not a biblical indicator for God's direction. Feeling peace is not a biblical indicator of God's direction. Now, I need to put an asterisk here because some of you guys might write me a feisty email and say, well, what about this? All right, consider this. Every major move of God in the Bible, every major figure did not have a feeling that aligned with God's calling at first. You look at Abraham, right? He didn't feel like he was qualified because he's too old. Moses didn't feel qualified. Why? Because he couldn't speak well. David didn't feel like he was qualified because he felt that God abandoned him. Mary felt like it was impossible to give birth to a virgin. John the Baptist felt unqualified to baptize Jesus. Peter felt like he blew it. And Paul felt unworthy to be called an apostle because he persecuted the church. Here's what I've learned is that the Bible tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Now we think that you know, might mean that I have to be really fearful and anxious of what God's going to like throw a lightning bolt at me or something, but it's actually contextually that the church was born in a hostile time. Like to be a Christian, like the world wanted to murder you, right? And so that passage to work out our salvation with fear and trembling means like it is high stakes out there. It's high stakes in the kingdom. And so when God calls us, we don't get the privilege of deciding that we have to feel peace before he calls us peace i have learned is something that follows obedience not something that precedes a decision and there are a lot of people out there that are missing their calling because they are waiting for the experience of peace not realizing that obedience is what's required and then then peace will follow that they're waiting like god i'll do my calling as soon as i feel peace and that's just not the biblical model what's the point is that God is not checking your feelings before creating your calling. God is not checking your feelings before creating your calling. He calls us, and then he lets us sort out how we're doing with the feelings. And he administers peace as we follow obedience. Obedience wouldn't be so hard if we felt peace before obeying. Obedience is so hard because we don't feel peace when we have to make the decision. And so to live by faith actually implies that you'll have to live in such a way that defies your feelings. That you have to say, my feelings aren't in charge, my future, they're not in charge of me, and so I begin to live in defiance of my feelings. My feelings don't get to tell my calling what to do, my calling tells my feelings what to do. And so to live by faith, means, by its very nature, that you're probably freaking out inside. If you don't get nervous from time to time, I would suggest that you are living a very safe life. There's nothing that gets you nervous or has, you know, an intensity of like a gravity of, oh my gosh, I'm going for this. If you don't experience that once in a while, you're probably living a very safe life because safe lives will never change the world. If it's your desire to make an impact in the world, you have to depart from this privilege of saying, I get to feel comfortable because the two are incompatible. And so making the right decision requires us to do it in faith. And if we're going to do it in faith, that requires us to bring our feelings under the submission of the Lord Jesus. Amen? Thank you. (laughs) I love Caleb. He's always the encourager in the audience. You guys are doing okay, but he's like killing it. And it's funny, a month ago, I was feeling this unexplained exhaustion, this unexplained just weird heaviness on me for no reason at all. I was like, life is great. Everything is amazing. And I've lost the zeal. I've lost the enthusiasm. I've lost the passion for a lot of things I love. My wife's like, what can I do? I was like, "I I don't think anything. I think it's just like an attack. Like, My situation, my circumstance has no relationship to my feelings. I am the luckiest guy in the world on so many levels and yet I feel this heaviness. And if I'm honest with you guys, I felt this big battle with this, with Epic Life. And I was like thinking, I passed like this billboard sign on the freeway and it's like, you know, the jackpot. You guys ever look at the jackpots like, oh, $420 million, you're like, that'd be so much easier if that just happened, right? And I think it's like I was driving with like our trailer with all this stuff back to Tahoe. It was like 1 in the morning. We can't get the stupid lock off. And it was just like this long string of like things. I'm like, I feel fatigued and tired. Like, this feels really hard. This was so much easier when we met in a gym once a week and no one cared. And there was just this heaviness. I couldn't explain it. And maybe it's because the stakes weren't as high. Well, now the stakes are high. Every single week, our little posts, you probably get them three times a day on specific intervals, they're reaching a half a million people every week. It's crazy. I feel the significance of you guys here. I want the food to be good. I want those things to be bright. I want all these things to work. But I lost this excitement for it, and it felt really hard, like pulling this really weird weight that didn't have any explanation, had no justification And so when you feel those feelings, it's really easy to begin questioning God's direction when things get hard. When things get difficult and not fun, our very first thought is, God, what are you doing? And that's because our expectations for God's direction lie to us. We have an expectation of how it's going to go when God is in something when he's leading something when we've chosen the right path we have an expectation of what that feels like how that goes and that is deceptive sign number three expecting effortlessness expecting effortlessness basically if it's going well it's god if it's not going well it's not god Now if you know anything about me, my theology is really simple. God is good, the devil is bad. The end, that's probably 90% of my theology. And I don't believe God sends storms to you to teach you we're supposed to rebuke storms, right? Like we're supposed to take authority over the darkness. Like so God is not gonna part with darkness to teach you something. I also don't believe He brings suffering into your life to build faith. I just find that if we were to apply that to any earthly father, like that father be in jail, couldn't like visit his children, things like that. And so I believe all those things are bad theology. You guys have heard me talk a ton about that, I'm sure. But what can happen is when you believe so much in God's goodness. You can mistakenly associate God's direction with easiness. When you believe God is so good, you can mistakenly associate God's direction, his leading, with easiness. God is good. And so, unless it's easy, it's not God. The devil is bad. And so, if it's hard, it must be the devil. Damien Giacchino said this so, so brilliantly, I'm still mad at him for authoring this quote. He said, not everything easy is from God and not everything hard is from the devil. So good, I could end the service right there. And so often when we are assessing God's leading, we are largely basing God's direction based on how easy it is. There's a direct correlation to what we think God is leading and doing with how easy it is. If it's easy, God's in it. If it's difficult, it's the devil. And we are unknowingly using comfort as the confirmation of God's direction. That's what it's revealing. Now, if the Apostle Paul had that same logic where everything good is God and everything bad is the devil... Uh, if he would have had that logic, he would have encountered his first beating, his first shipwreck, and he would have gone back to the other disciples and be like, you know, I just feel like I'm in a different season now that I, I can't continue in this. Um, you know, I just don't have a grace for, you know, this persecution right now. Um, I don't know if this persecution is doable for my heart right now. Um, I put out a fleece and it got whipped, so um, I'm going to exit <laughs> the ministry. Um, and I just feel like there's just not a grace. The grace, the anointing for this has just fallen off or something. That if if the Apostle Paul had that logic, that is what he would have said. And we say those things all the time. And so therefore, we can wrongly identify God's favor and direction by lack of resistance. We think to have favor, to have God's direction. It means there is a lack of resistance, and that's how we think God confirms a direction. When we talk about God confirming things, we usually talk about that something favorable happened, that the right direction from God is always smooth and easy. We have all sorts of ways we say this, you know, like there's a grace that's really on this, or God's favor is really upon it, or there's an anointing for this, like these are all ways we are linking God's direction with comfort and ease, but I actually think that favor is measured by what happens to you despite resistance. That what the outcome doesn't match the natural results. That is what I would identify as favor, not how easy it went for you. But notice that we never make the opposite or the inverse statement. We never like, yeah, it is going terrible and God is totally in it. We never like, it totally failed, it was awful, horrible, and it was all God. Like we don't say those things. And I believe that we've picked up this kind of tw- quirky theology from Matthew 11:30. You might know this passage it says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, if you don't read your Bible or read in context, you will think that the call of Jesus is easy and light. And what he's talking about is law versus grace. That He's comparing the Pharisees who says, through all the law, you become righteous. And he's like, if you believe in me, you're righteous. That's what he's meaning. That it is not a burdensome to become righteous when you just simply believe. But we have misapplied this verse to mean the pathway of God's direction will be easy if he is in it. But what does Jesus actually say? about life in the kingdom? What does he actually say about what to expect for you living in this world, pursuing your calling, bringing kingdom in heaven to earth? He says the world is gonna hate you. He says the world is gonna give you trouble. He says that it's gonna be hard. There's gonna be an enemy who's looking for someone to devour. That is what he says. Hashtag the struggle is real, right? In the kingdom that is the expectation and so we're plainly told this in matthew 11 it says that the kingdom of god suffers violence and forceful men lay hold of it which is a tricky verse but basically what it means that there is a struggle for what god wants to do on earth but the darkness isn't just like oh jesus is here i guess we're going to peace out like no like there's going to be a battle. That's why it's hard to walk in obedience. That's why it's hard to make the decisions we do, because the darkness doesn't want to see you in victory. And so Jesus plainly tells us that the kingdom of God is in a battle, and that when you kick out darkness, there's going to be a kicking match. There's going to be some kicking and screaming. Just like if you try to take out a bee's nest, you might get stung. And so that is where, that is what happened with me, is that my expectation was wrong. My expectation for the kingdom and this work is that it would be easy, that it would be effortless, that it would be really anointed, which really meant that everything would fall in line, would never have any challenges, never have any difficulty. And God plainly just said, like, when did you think this stuff was easy? I was like, oh, yeah, that's kind of a good point. I don't know, somewhere long ago. And he's like, how did you deceive yourself? Like, breaking darkness is going to be hard work. Darkness is not going to go down without a fight. So expect, if you want to change the world, impact the world, impact lives, impact a city, you better believe it's not going to be really easy. So get over it. It's like, okay, I can do that. And when we have that mindset shift, that I don't confirm God's direction by my comfort, I now am prepared for what I get to face. Are you guys okay? And really what it brought to the surface is a number of lies in me that maybe are found in you that we have convinced ourselves that we can have a prize without a process, that we can have a victory without experiencing a fight, that we can have a finish line without running a race, and I hate running, that we can have honor without service, that we can develop strength without experiencing resistance. People ask me, do you lift weights? I'm like, no, uh, weights are heavy you know, and there's a reason, like I'm not on any magazine covers for my muscles. It's like I don't submit myself to resistance in the muscles, so therefore I get what I choose, but we are expecting the result without the process so often in our life and in our calling. So expect a struggle when pursuing God's best. It's a bummer, but as soon as you get over it, it's going to be easier for you. And I would go so far that if you never encounter resistance, you probably are not advancing the kingdom. If you never encounter resistance, I would go so far to say you are not advancing the kingdom. If you're okay with that, that's fine. Just know, don't be deceived. If you don't encounter any resistance, you're probably not moving any mountains. You're probably not changing culture, impacting people's lives. And I believe that the level of resistance on our life actually could be an indicator of the call on your life. That if you're like, man, I just feel like I'm being picked on, it actually could be because God has placed something in you and on you and spoken about you of great significance. Because the devil doesn't pick on wimps. Amen? The devil's going to like, wants to neutralize and minimize people. And so the, like, the same is with a situation. Sometimes how difficult something is, can be the measurement of how significant it is so when i look at this i look at you guys i look at the city i look at what things we're doing it's like it's hard but it's like well duh like it's significant it ought to be if it wasn't hard i should be concerned because if it's not hard it probably isn't significant bill johnson said if you don't run across the devil once in a while you might be going the same direction I would drop this microphone, but it was really expensive when we bought it. <laughs> but just look at our biblical commands. When you look at the Bible, what it tells you about the faith and the life you're supposed to live, it says, be courageous, have faith, have peace, have strength, have love. And so we can decipher what our expected lifestyle is based on the commands. To have courage implies that we're going to be encountering intimidation. To have faith implies that we're going to be encountering fear. To have peace implies that we're going to be encountering hostility. To have strength implies that we're going to be encountering a struggle. To have love implies we're going to be encountering hate. So all the biblical commands, we can just reverse it and have our expectation for how life is probably going to be. And this brings us to the final deceptive sign, which is a disappointing outcome. Signs that deceive us. Number four is a disappointing outcome. We are so quick to determine God's direction, his involvement, his anointing, his whatever you want to say, based on its outcome. And we have to remember that the outcome of the lives of all, almost all except for one, all the early disciples was martyrdom. That was their outcome, and so God is not asking us to pursue outcomes, he's asking us for obedience. We think that if we are obedient, that God is gonna give us the outcome we want, and we have different lies we believe, like I deserve this outcome, I did this God, you saw me do it, and that is manipulation. Yeah. When we ransom our obedience, in result for a secret desire or secret expectation for a result that is manipulation and i am not afraid of failure because i love like i think failure is like proof that you tried something i kind of don't trust people who've never failed because they've never risked anything and if they've never risked anything for themselves why would they risk something for me that one was for free but jesus said go out into all the cities remember that And he said, if a city doesn't receive you, shake the dust off the feet, implying that the kingdom is not going to always have the outcome that you desire or you want. And just because something doesn't work out doesn't mean that God was against it. We will link failure based on God's preference It failed, and so therefore, God was against it. That investor that came to me had nothing to do with whether God was in it or not. I completely left my calling and said, I'm going to try and fit a round peg in a square hole and pretend this is going to work. And I was completely disobedient to what God had already revealed to me as my strengths, as my calling and everything. I got totally, like, hijacked with this other thing. It doesn't mean he was against it. I just acted stupidly. And so just because things don't work out, we can have this, this declaration of what God wanted to do there. But we have to realize, and this is going to ruffle some theology feathers, that God doesn't always get what he wants. We know this from 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4. It says that God wants all people to be saved. Well, is all people saved? No, but that's what he wants, So there's a difference between what God wants and what happens. And we live in a world where God commands us to cities, and then he leaves it to the cities to reject or accept. And he's okay with the outcome because he is calling us to obedience, not to outcomes. And when you walk in total obedience, you are not guaranteed of the outcome that you want. You get to break those two connections. The right decision will not always produce the right outcome that you think is right. We have to remember that Jesus was fully obedient, right? Fully obedient, Jesus. He couldn't do miracles in his own hometown. Jerusalem didn't repent. His followers abandoned him. His friends betrayed him and denied him. If Jesus worked at a church, he probably would have been laid off because of what happened in his ministry. He had unsuccessful outcomes by many standards that you look at. I feel like Jesus is showing us that you can have total obedience and have a disappointed outcome. And you still get credit in heaven because you're obedient. God is not saying, well, you talked to that person about Jesus and he didn't get saved, so, you know, we don't, we don't do partial credit. You know, like in heaven, you get the full credit. Obedience is fully rewarded despite the outcome and we can have boldness we can have utter faith knowing that we can step out if we're obedient. that God rewards us in full despite the outcome that's all that matters and so we can get so fixated on our calling about the destination we think about the results we think about the destination we get so fixated on that that's our metric for success and God is passionate about developing us in the journey We want the result, and God is looking at what's happening in us as we go there. Let me say it this way. What God does in you during your journey and on your journey is more important than the destination. What God does in you on the pursuit of that destination is far more valuable than whatever end result that we want. His focus is always on you. The call of God on your life should have no bearing on this situational outcome or that situational outcome. If one person showed up tonight, it would be the flesh to say like, this is a terrible idea, God's not in it. But we cannot allow outcomes to determine callings. We allow to have callings to inform our obedience and follow a life of faith that defies our feelings. Amen? Amen. So let me summarize this for you. If you want to experience God's best in your life, if you want to experience God's fullness, his capacity of you maximizing your life in him, if you want to experience the greatest potential you have, then we need to be people who make really good decisions with our life. We have to know that our decisions matter but it also means that we need to make the right decisions and we can be easily deceived by first, always thinking that we have to ask and identify if God's in it. We don't have to do that because God is in you. You bring God to every situation. We can also be deceived by seeking out peace, that God doesn't consider your feelings before issuing your calling. We do not look for peace as the starting pistol for our life. We look at it as the reward from obedience. The third is that we have to stop expecting effortlessness, that we have to anticipate that things aren't gonna go well time to time and it does not mean that God's against it because God is for us, not against us and we're not promised any result and that's the fourth is that we have to rise above disappointing outcomes because God is bigger, his call is greater in you than any disappointment you can experience situationally. Amen? I'm gonna leave it there. I love you guys.